Jesus is truth. We, we know at the end of the passage, and we're going to talk about it when we get there a little bit more, but Pilate says, what is truth? Well, I'm just going to give away a little of the, the punchline. He hadn't listened. That's why he's still asking, asking, uh, asking the question, and he doesn't really want an answer. But the answer is, Jesus is truth. Now, in today's society, we've got my truth and your truth. Uh, this image is a, a good example of that. Uh, it, it's, it's poignant, and, and it, it, it proves a point. For one guy, it's a six. For one guy, it's a nine. And perspective does matter. But what we know is that we don't believe that that symbol on the ground, A, has no meaning, or B, got there by accident. So somebody, and I realize this is not a real thing, y'all, just go with me. Somebody put that symbol on the ground. Somebody drew it. So whoever drew it had an intent behind it. It may have been that the person who drew it intended it to be a nine, and the sixth person is just confused and wrong. It could be that the person who drew it intended for it to be a six, and the nine person is just confused or wrong. Or it could be that the person who drew it knew that from one side it looked like one thing, and from the other side it looked like another, so they drew it there to cause confusion and cause trouble. Yeah, there are those people in the world just want to watch the world burn, and that's could be very uh, well what happens here. So yes, perspective matters, but perspective isn't truth. As a matter of fact, we used to say perception is reality, and I've always hated that phrase, because no, reality is reality. Perception is merely how you see the reality, but that doesn't change the reality. And you may live your life as if your perception of reality is reality, but that doesn't mean you're right. doesn't mean that that's reality. Both are wrong. Your truth and my truth, that's wrong. Perception is reality, that's wrong. There is truth and there is falsehood. And you can believe a lie till the day you die, still a lie. It won't matter. No matter how hard you believe, it doesn't make a lie the truth. It doesn't matter how hard you don't believe, it doesn't make the truth a lie. Regardless of perspective, perception, or preference. In the beginning of what I'm reading this week, or what the passage was about, in verse, beginning in verse 28 through 32, I'm going to talk about that briefly we, we see that Jesus has been brought to Pilate from uh, the kangaroo court at, at, at Caiaphas's house uh, and, and then to the Sanhedrin. And now he is at the governor's headquarters, the governor's home in verse 28. They brought him to Pilate, the, the Roman governor of the region. They, and I put they in quotation marks here, they, as scripture says... Verse 28, then they led Jesus. They, in verse 28, had their truth. They wouldn't have put it in those words, but that's, that's what it was. They had their truth. They had what they believed. They believed that entering Pilate's house would defile them. This is the day before, uh, the day of, rather, Passover. 
This is Friday morning. It is Friday. It is the day of Passover. And to go into Pilate's house at this point would defile them, a Gentile's house, for seven days. They wouldn't be able to uh, go to temple, do anything. So they couldn't go into his house. I didn't care about sending Jesus in there. But they believed they would be defiled by that. Now, ironically, they didn't, or hypocritically rather, they didn't believe that murder would defile them. That's exactly what they're planning here. In verse 31, we see the, the murder that they are planning. Uh, Pilate told them to take them and judge them according to their law. And he said, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death. Translated, it's not legal for us to kill anybody. They're not just talking about execution here. They knew they weren't merely executing a criminal because if you read back through John, they had had no problem with picking up stones to stone him with. They were fine at that time executing him. Suddenly they get to this day in this situation and they, don't, they know they can't kill him outright. They don't have uh, the authority to do so. Rather, they, they have the authority to execute, but they don't have the authority to murder. And as we read back through John, we see over and over, and they sought an opportunity to kill him. They sought an opportunity to kill him. They sought an opportunity to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he wasn't dead. I mean, that should go without saying, you know, you can't kill somebody who is dead. Lazarus's problem was that he didn't stay dead. So they sought the opportunity to kill him. Not execute. He hadn't done anything wrong. They were out for murder. They didn't have evidence. See, that's the problem. They, they come from this court and Caiaphas' house and everything that was going on there, and they didn't have the evidence to stone him. If you, we read other Gospels, and we're not going to look at a lot of the other Gospels this morning. We are going to look a lot at John because John has a particular perspective. But if we look at the other Gospels, we see this person gave this testimony, that person gave the other testimony. They couldn't get two people to agree. And then Jesus makes some statements that they say, oh, well, we don't need anything else. That's enough. Clearly it wasn't because they could have just stoned him right there. Of course, they also didn't want to just stone him. They didn't just want to execute him. They wanted him cursed and humiliated. They knew how the Romans were going to Uh, execute him so they wanted him on a cross cursed is the man who was hung on a tree uh, Deuteronomy I think somewhere they wanted him cursed they wanted him hung before everybody else they wanted the humiliation that comes with crucifixion and they wanted Rome in on it they wanted Rome to take part in it because they wanted Rome's authority behind it well Rome killed him wasn't us our hands are clean funny Again, in the other Gospels, Pilate washes his hands. My hands are clean. Nobody wants to take the blame for it. The Jews don't want, they don't want the blame for this. And they don't want to do the dirty work. They don't want to be unclean. They think they are righteous. The day is coming when people think they are doing God's will when they kill you, Jesus told his disciples. And that's what they want. We're doing God's will. We returned him over to the Romans as good citizens should, and Rome killed him. Don't forget, in John chapter 8, verse 44, 
Jesus told them, Abraham ain't your daddy. The devil's your daddy, the murderer and liar. Their father, the devil, was a murderer. So stands to reason that the kids are going to be murderers too because they were raised by their daddy. They, in verse 30, so in verse 28, they, uh, they have their truth. In verse 30, they have no truth. John doesn't even bother recording here what their accusations are. Their reasons for the crucifixion, for turning him over to Pilate are, because he knows they're ridiculous. The reasons are given in the other Gospels, and let's keep this in mind as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we read it and they don't seem to agree that it's not a lack of agreement, it's a lack of uh, information that they believe should be put into their Gospel. I believe, I know, you can take the Gospels and you can insert, you can harmonize all four of the Gospels and get a complete story. But they're not all telling the the whole story. They're telling the parts that make the point that the Holy Spirit inspired them to make. So, John doesn't even bother giving the Jews their, again, they, that they that's mentioned here, their reasons for turning him over to Pilate because they're stupid. They don't have reasons. They just want to murder. They are out for blood, and they're going to have it. So we get now inside Pilate's home. Jesus is in there in verse 33, and we find Jesus' last teaching before his crucifixion. He's taking Pilate to school. Pilate thinks he's going to be examining him, doing a little quick... uh, um, judge and and jury thing with with Jesus trying to figure out what the accusation is all right we're going to make the determination what the punishment is and we move on and 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 he thinks he's talking to a lesser and then Jesus starts clapping back at him and he hold on this ain't who I thought it was there this is he's taking Jesus to I mean taking Pilate to school Pilate's not interested in learning our big idea this morning Knowing the truth isn't about knowing facts, but about knowing Jesus. I've told you that when I was at LSU, I, I took uh, three different religious cl- religion classes. I took New Testament, Old Testament, and Hebrew prophets. New Testament professor was pretty good, uh, pr- pretty um, devout's not the word I want. Accurate, it's not the word I want. When you say somebody is orthodox, thank you for all your help. All of you, you're great, appreciate it. Just leave me up here hanging. I, t- 20 of you knew the word, but it's like, I'm just going to wait and see how long he can, he'll stand there and throw a think of it. Pretty orthodox, the Old Testament professor was not. He knew a lot of facts. He didn't know Jesus. Guarantee you, promise not speaking on his salvation, I'm telling you, I mean, I am, but I'm telling you based on what he believed about Jesus, he didn't know Jesus. So we're not talking about knowing facts. Knowing the truth, biblically, is not about knowing facts, but knowing Jesus. Though we are going to look at a lot of facts this morning, a lot of facts about Jesus that show us that he is the truth. John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, 
or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. Knowing the truth isn't about facts, but about knowing Jesus. We're going to look at this passage in in three sections uh, based on the question and the answer. The question that Pilate asks and the answer, most often in the form of a question, that Jesus gives. Then we're going to look at how Jesus, how John has already answered that question throughout his gospel. So, you're going to want to put your finger back at the beginning of the Gospel of John because we're going to go back and work through it a little bit, and then we're going to go to point two, and we're going to go back to the beginning again and work through it a little bit, and then we're going to go to point three and go back to the beginning and work through it a little bit. Uh, We should be done around 2.30. Verses 33 and 34, the truth spoken. The, the three points, the truth that's spoken, the truth acted, and the truth followed. The truth spoken in verses 33, 34. See, Pilate in this passage wants a verdict. That's really all he's concerned about. In this, in this whole uh, confrontation, he just wants a verdict. Then Pilate uh, went back into the headquarters, into his house, and he summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? He just wants information. If he admits this, we got something. If he doesn't, we got no witnesses. Jesus, though, wants a heart check. He is going to be crucified in six hours, four hours. It's, it's, it's morning sometime, six, seven. He's going to be crucified around noon, die around at three. And, and his, his thought here is not to defend himself, not to get out of it. This is where he's supposed to be. But to witness to Pilate of the truth of who he is. Probably going to say that again because I think I've gotten ahead of myself in the notes, but I just can't wait for us to see that. The Savior of the world is trying to save a man mere hours before he, well, minutes before he's beaten at Pilate's behest. The man who is about to order his beating and whipping, he's trying to share the gospel with, share who he is with. Uh, Pilate's incredulous that that he could be a king. Now, there there are debates uh, if, if this is pure incredulity on the part of Pilate. Uh, he, when he says, um, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, some people say he's saying it sort of a, in a mocking way. Others say uh, that he is just, he's going to ask the question three times in, in, in slightly different ways, but three times, which is the standard of Roman law. You ask the, the defendant three times to confess. And if they don't, well, then you go based on the evidence. It's both. 
I, I think Pilate is looking at this guy going, their accusation is that he's a, claiming to be a king. Does anybody, does anybody look at this guy and say, oh, he's a king? So are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, not seeking to defend himself, not uh, seeking to get off the hook, but instead want, wanting Pilate to see the truth, turns it around on him. Not, not going to answer the question. Of course, we saw Jesus do that throughout his three years of ministry with the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law. They'd ask him a question, and he'd bumfuzzle them by uh, asking them a question in return, and they well, shoot, we can't do this, and left. So he asks them the question, are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? Jesus is not interested one bit in the politics of the situation. See, all Pilate wants to know is, are you a threat to Rome? That's, that's all he cares about. Y'all have got your little religious squabble. I don't care. My breakfast is getting cold. Are you a threat to me? Are you a threat to Caesar? Is this a Roman issue or is this a y'all issue? Because if this is a y'all issue, I'm going to eat. Or whatever was next that morning. Well, the answer is yes and no. As far as, is he a threat? The truth is a threat to every government. The truth is a threat to every political party. Yes, Jesus is a threat to Rome, but not in the way that Pilate thinks. Jesus is a threat to Rome in the sense that when Christianity begins to spread in the empire and when they begin to uh, try to uh, quash Christianity and stamp it out, it only grows stronger. And when they throw people in uh, vats of boiling oil, or they throw them into the Colosseum to feed them to animals, or they throw them into these ovens to bake them alive, yep, among all the other various ways they crucified and killed Christians, what they get is people like Stephen look into heaven, saying, Lord, take me. They don't get what they expect. That's a threat. If, if death is not a coercive uh, a tool uh, to, 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 to end your movement, then what the heck is? Torture wasn't. Then how are we going to stop this? Ha <laughs> ha, you can't. So yes, in that sense, certainly, Jesus was a threat. The truth is always a threat, but not, not politically. Jesus' kingship is the end of every government. Jesus' kingship is the end of every political party. And so he asks Pilate, do you think, do you think this? This king of the Jews question. Do you, do you think I'm the king of the Jews yourself, or were you told this? What have you heard, Pilate? What, what has been said about me? Well, Pilate's information is going to be very limited, but ours, as readers of the Gospel of John, is not. Go back to chapter 1, and let's look at what has been said about Jesus. John chapter 1, toward the end of it, 
And we're not going to cover every point either, so don't get too, too worried about it. But we're going to move quickly through some stuff. John the Baptist, in, at the end of chapter 1, testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Jesus was the one who came to take away the sins of the world. Nathaniel, who was one of John the Baptist's disciples, when he meets Jesus in chapter 1, verse 49, says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John the Baptist, later on in chapter 3, verse 28, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. Jesus is the Messiah. Chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I'm the Messiah. He just confirms what John the Baptist said to the Samaritan woman. It's beginning to sound fairly kingly, fairly, fairly royally, uh, fairly, fairly royal. Jesus in chapter 5, verse 17 in the following verses where he's honoring the Father and the Son. He says, uh, Jesus responded to them, My Father is still working and I am working also. The Father and I are one. The, he is the Son of God. Uh, chapter, rather, verse 24 of chapter 5. So maybe on the next page for you. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. If we hear his words, we have eternal life. If we hear the words, we have heard his, if we heard his words, we've heard the words of the Father. Spoken, right? The truth spoken. Verse 39, just a little few verses down. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me, Jesus says. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, tell us Jesus is king. Chapter 6, verse 35, we begin the I am statements. I am the bread of life. The, the, the key component there being the I am part of that. Chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. On down in chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How will you know the truth? If you continue in my word, verse 31. If you continue in his word. If you hear what he speaks. If you hear the truth, you will know the truth. Jesus is truth. Verse 58, same chapter. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. We've talked about this already. He is now putting himself and God as the same. He has taken on, taken on the covenant name of Yahweh. The truth spoken. Chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate. Third I am statement. Verses 11 and 14. I am the good shepherd. 
Chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He says that twice. On down a little bit. Verse 25. I did tell you. They say, well, why didn't you tell us this was you? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe. I have spoken it. I have said I am the Messiah, the King. The works that I do in my Father's name, God is my Father, testify about me. We're going to talk about the works in just a minute. Verse 38 of chapter 10. Just keep looking down a little bit. But if I am doing them, the, his Father's works, and you don't believe me, believe the works. I told you. But if you don't believe that, that what I've said, believe the works that show that what I've said is, is true, that I am in the Father and, uh, and the Father is in me. Chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 12, verse 32. As for me, if I am lifted up, if I am crucified, I will draw all people to myself. He predicts his own crucifixion. He predicts what's about to happen where we are in the passage. And then take your pick of sentences, of statements in his final discourse to the disciples in chapters 14 through 17. There were just too many for me to pull out because we would have been here till 2.30. Jesus says, have you heard this? Or were you told, uh, do, you, do you know this to be the case? Or were you merely told that I was a king? We know, as we read the gospel, that Jesus has spoken it and others have spoken it. The testimony is there that Jesus is king. That the truth has been spoken over and over and over for three years. You can deny it, but it doesn't make it less true. The truth is spoken. Well, Pilate doesn't like the answer. Big shock. And so, back in chapter 18, he says, I'm not a Jew, am I? He didn't ask you if you were a Jew. He just asked you if you... But that's the point, right? Uh, do you believe this? Well, of course he wouldn't. He's uh, no. But that's his answer. I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests, your people, handed you over to me. What have you done? What, what actions have caused this? And so we come to number two, the truth acted. Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So we're now to the second time that Pilate has asked the question. Remember, three times he's going to ask it. This is the, the second. 
He didn't ask it exactly right, but the same way. But the what have you done is asking for a confession. There's the assumption of guilt here. Jesus had to have done something to cause this. That's exactly what the, the, the Jews, that's what they told uh, Pilate back in verse 20-30 of 18. They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. They didn't give an answer. They just said, he, bad guy. So he's saying, what? Okay, you're a bad guy. What were the bad things you've done to your people? Why are your people handing you over, is what Pilate asks. And Jesus says, they ain't my people. They're, they're, they're not. You see, his kingdom is not a territory. It's a people. It's just not this people that he's talking about. It's not the they that handed him over to Pilate. The church, that's Jesus' kingdom. We are Jesus' kingdom. And he says, my kingdom is otherworldly. There's a reason we are in here on Sunday morning and everybody else isn't. Because this is when the kingdom meets. This is when the kingdom comes together. And we, we live in a world that isn't ours. We live in a kingdom that isn't ours. That we aren't a part of. Not truly. We're in it, but we are not of it. And so the kingdom of Jesus meets. Most of us. Most of the time. Or at least some of the time. He says, my kingdom, his, his kingship is not of this world. But as I said, it is in this world, and therefore it affects the world. See, we don't get to be what Israel tried to be. We don't get to be God's people that huddle and take pot shots at the people across the wall from us. Never going out and telling them why we're the kingdom. Why we are the ones who are part of Jesus' kingship and under his kingship. But that's what Israel wanted to do. And it's what a lot of us want to do. Let's come here and talk about how bad the other kingdoms are. We know why they're bad kingdoms? Because they're not a part of Jesus' kingdom. But if Jesus hadn't answered this way, if he hadn't said, my kingdom is not of this world, or rather, my kingship is probably a better translation, to claim to be king, if, if Jesus had just said, yeah, I'm a king, well, that would have confused Pilate, because the, the word didn't mean the same to him. Perspective. Perception. If Jesus had said, of course I'm the king of the Jews, okay, you are a political threat then. Because he, Pilate, took king to mean something specific, something particular. A country, a territory, a rival. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of rival you're thinking of, so I'm not going to use the word you want me to use. But I am a king. I have a kingdom. I have a kingship, but it doesn't belong here. And the proof is the fact that I'm standing right here in front of you right now. My, my people didn't rise up. If I had the kind of kingdom you're talking about, Pilate, there'd have been a bloodbath. 
As it was, some dude lost his earlobe, and I put it back on and told the guy that did it, stop. And that, that was the end of the uprising. The proof that I'm from, I have a different kingship, an otherworldly kingship, is the fact that nobody did anything. See, the church is not called to fight wars, but to fight the good fight of faith as we take the gospel to the ends of the earth and make disciples. I'm no pacifist. We need soldiers. We're proud of our soldiers. Christians can be soldiers. New Testament's clear about that. Not once did any soldier who came to Christ get told, now, go resign your commission because you shouldn't be a soldier. You just be a good Christian soldier. So I'm not talking about that sort of not fighting, but we are not to spread the kingdom by force. It's not what we do. We don't defend Jesus. Jesus doesn't need defenders. He needs heralds of his truth. That's what he needs. He needs people who will stand in the middle of the Colosseum and let a lion rip them apart and that and let that be their statement that death doesn't matter and torture doesn't matter and pain doesn't matter. Only Jesus matters. So that everybody looking on goes, how the heck could they be like that? Well, Jesus, no heck at all. As a matter of fact, the opposite. Jesus is why they could be like that. How can you go as a missionary to a country where you know that if they find out you're a believer and trying to convert other people, they will kill you? Because to live is Christ, sharing that with everybody. To die, woohoo, is gain. Mario, woohoo. Level up, dude. And you go to heaven. Jesus doesn't need defenders. He doesn't need us to fight for him. He needs us to fight the good fight of faith. And he proved it over and over by his actions. Never once did he say or give an example of taking the world for his kingdom by force. What Jesus has done, the, the truth in action, along with his teaching, proves that his kingdom is from somewhere else. He is not interested in overthrowing the Sanhedrin, overthrowing Caiaphas, the high priest, or any of that. As a matter of fact, John's gospel only speaks of his kingdom twice, only uses that word twice. The other three gospels talk about the kingdom a lot. Jesus talked about his kingdom a lot. John chooses not to share that part. Except for two times, here and in John chapter 3, which we'll talk about in the next point. But what did Jesus do? What does his action show of his kingdom? Again, not rallying fighters, not setting up a strategy to, to infiltrate and overthrow, but instead he did things like, go back to chapter 2, the way the entire book of John is organized around seven miracles. The first one, he changes water into wine in chapter 2 to show his glory is what the passage says. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Chapter 2, verse 11. In chapter 2, he cleanses the temple. 
Scripture telling us that he has zeal for his father's house. What's his concern? To take over the temple? To be the temple? No. To cleanse the temple because it was his father's. His father otherworldly. In chapter 4, verse 46, he heals the official son from a distance now to show that he has power over disease. We're not told what's wrong with the official son. We're just told that he was sick and was dying. And he heals him. So he's power over diseases. Chapter 5, verse 1 and following... He heals a lame man, showing that he has power over physical disabilities of the extremities. Can't walk, no big deal. This otherworldly king can handle that. In, chapter, in verse 36 of uh, chapter 5, he testifies that his works are of the Father. Speaking of John the Baptist, he says, But I have a greater testimony than John. Because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The King of the universe has sent me. Kingdom, kingship was not of this world. It was otherworldly. So he did these works. Chapter 6, verse 1. He feeds the 5,000. That shows provision. Jesus is going to take care of us. It shows us creation from nothing, something only God could do. They have a few loaves and a few fishes, and then suddenly they've got 12 left over after 5,000 people eat. That is something from nothing. Verse 16 of chapter 6, he walks on water. Power over the elements. Everybody knows you sink in water. You don't walk on it. It's not solid. It is for Jesus if he wants it to be, because he's got power over that. Chapter 9, verse 1, he heals a blind man. So now he's healed a disease, internal stuff. He's healed extremities, lame man. And now he's taken on like the thing that you can never get over. Sick people get over being sick sometimes. Lame people can do some therapy and walk again. Blind people don't ever just get sight again. And yet Jesus can give it to them like that. He's got these, this power over impossible disabilities. And then later on in chapter 11, he has power over the most impossible disability, death. Because people certainly don't come back from the dead unless Jesus says to. That's otherworldly kingship. That's otherworldly power. That's the truth of Jesus acted out. And then in chapter 18, verse 6, just a little before where we are now and what we talked about last week, Jesus says, I am, and people go, whoop, fall out. Not Holy Spirit fall out because they got Jesus in them and all that stuff. No, no, no. This is, they were wiped out by the power of his word because his kingdom, now he could have wiped them out. That could have been a killing blow, but instead it was just a, let me show you that I'm the one in control here. An otherworldly kingship. Spoken word, one with God, the truth in action. Pilate doesn't like that answer either. You are a king then, verse 37, chapter 18, verse 37. You are a king then? Is that what you're saying? You say that I'm a king. 
Jesus replied, I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Number three, the truth followed. Pilate's a bit confused, again, because of these different definitions of king. Well, okay, you're talking about kingship. You are a king. No, Pilate, you're talking about a king like you're thinking. I'm talking about something different. Listen to the truth. Listen to what I'm saying. Or to quote Chris Tucker, you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And he didn't. He didn't understand it. I I know the words you're saying, but they're not making the sense you want them to make to me. Jesus says, you use that term because of your definition and your understanding. That's not what we're talking about. He says, I was born for this. I was born for kingship. I was born for dying. Yes, this is, this is why I'm here. But more than that, he says, and some of your translations probably have it this way, I was born for this and I have come into the world for this, colon, telling us that this next phrase is why he's here, to testify to the truth. And he does. He testifies by his words and teaching, truth spoken. He's testified by the things he has done, the truth acted, And now, he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The truth followed. We look at the testimony of those who have turned to Jesus. See, truth wraps up all that Jesus has done and will do. It's the whole reason he's here. Dying, kingship shows that he's truth. Dying shows that he's truth. Rising again shows that he's truth. All of this is part of him teaching the truth. And how do you decide? How do you how do you see or how do you respond to truth? You you follow it. You listen to it. He is telling Pilate, you're asking the wrong questions, Pilate. Don't decide if I'm a king. Doesn't matter. You're not going to get the whole kingship thing. Decide if I am the revealer of truth. Make that decision this morning. That's the decision you need to make, he says to Pilate. Don't decide if if I'm a threat to your lifestyle. Decide if I'm right. Hmm. Sounds like that might be a question that we need to answer this morning. So, He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If if I were going to entitle this message something different to go along with what we've said before, I would have entitled it, listening is following. I didn't, because the the greater focus is that Jesus is truth. But listening is following. Those who listened knew the truth and then testified to the truth. Back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 37. Andrew says, The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. They heard heard John say about Jesus, Look, the Lamb of God. And they followed him. One of those disciples was Andrew. Verse 42. Andrew went and got his brother. We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. We found the Savior, the King, and he brought Simon to Jesus, brought Peter 
to Jesus. He saw the truth, he heard the truth, and he followed him. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. And what did Philip do? He followed him because he heard the truth. And he followed it. Verse 49, Nathaniel that we've already talked about. Philip, he was sitting under the trees, Philip's brother. And so he goes and gets him. And says, come see the Messiah. We found him. And, and Jesus says, saw you over there. How? You know, I saw you. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And he followed him. Chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5. Where he taught the only other place the kingdom is talked about. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's the topic that we're talking about that uh, uh, Pilate is asking about, kingdom. And he says, unless you are born again. How do we know what being born again is? He's telling Nicodemus right now what that means. Unless we believe the truth, listen to the truth, and respond to the truth, we can't know the kingdom. They are listening. They're following the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified of the truth of who he was, he told me everything I ever did. He was right. And they believed, and the whole town believed. And they asked him to stay and said, We no longer believe because of what you said, this townspeople. Because of what you said to the woman, they say this. They say to the woman, we no longer believe what you said, but we've heard for ourselves from him. We've heard the truth and we follow him. Chapter 6, verse 66. From that moment, many of the disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Wait a minute, Michael, we're talking about following Yeah, we are. We're talking about following the truth. And y'all, the truth is hard. Truth hurts. And when Jesus interrupts us with truth, whether it's our sin, whether it's our politics, whether it's our family relationships, whether it's our big desires or little desires, our consumerism, our our, uh, materialism, it doesn't matter. When Jesus interrupts our lives with truth, our first response is, no thanks, But his followers hear the truth, listen to it, and then follow him. Chapter 9, verse 38. The dude who was blind, in verse 38, says, I believe, Lord. Why? Because verse 37 says, you've seen him. You've seen the Messiah, the Son of Man, 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Once he knew the truth, heard the truth, he followed the truth. Chapter 10, verse 42. Many beyond the Jordan believe in Jesus. John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man is true, and many believed in him there, and they followed him. Chapter 12, verse 3. Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. 
She worshipped him because she knew who he was. She had heard the truth, and now she was following him and testifying of the truth by her actions. Verse 13, just a little while later, as he comes into Jerusalem, he is hailed as a king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel, Hosanna, they said. They knew he was a king. They had Pilate's definition of king, though. So when he turned out he wasn't that kind of king, or it it turned out that he wasn't that kind of king, they turned on him. But when you hear the truth, you follow the truth. When you hear the truth, you believe the truth if you are of the truth. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to Pilate. Kingdom is not of this world. It's not what you're thinking. It's not what you're talking about. You're saying I'm a king. I was born for this, to testify to the truth. Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, will you follow the truth? Will you listen to my voice, he says. Incidentally, there's there's a good question of how do people know what was going on here? How, how do we get this? It could have been just pure Holy Spirit inspiration. That, I have no problem with that. There's tradition, though, that says Pilate's wife believed. We have other gospel, one of the other gospel writers said she told him, have nothing to do with this man, had a dream about him, it's not going to go well. And there's tradition that says she believed later on. Who knows? We don't know. But we've got some pretty good detail about a conversation that went on in Pilate's house where she probably was. Maybe one of the servants. Who knows? But we know Pilate's response. Jesus is giving an invitation. Pilate, will you respond to the truth? And Pilate says, what is truth? That's the end of the conversation. He goes back out. He's got his verdict. Uh, they, the Jews, the Pharisees, all those folks, they've got nothing on him. There's no reason to kill him. There's, they're just, he knows they're mad for whatever reason, but it's, it's dumb. It's a dismissive re- remark. He, he has what he thinks he needs, but he has completely missed what he really needs. He needs to respond to the truth. He needs to respond to what Jesus taught and what others said about him. He needs to respond to what Jesus did. He needs to respond to the testimony of those who followed Jesus, all of which we have. We don't have Pilate's excuse. We don't, if he would use one, we don't, we don't have, well, I didn't know about all that. I hadn't heard about all that. He was the governor of the area. I guarantee you he had heard a lot. But we've got it all, certainly all that we need. The truth is that Jesus is what you need and all you need. 
facts are important. Facts are good. You need to know your scripture. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to know scripture. But you can know dry, lifeless scripture if you don't know Jesus. You can know facts but not know the truth if you don't know Jesus. And Jesus' strongest statement of truth. You want to know why Jesus is truth? Because Jesus said he was truth. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. What are you going to do with the truth today? Believer, what are you going to do with the truth today? Jesus' truth will mess your life up pretty much every day. Just get used to it. Ain't going to work the way you want it to because it's not yours anymore. You are a part of another kingdom. Unbeliever. You've never followed Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus. He is calling you to follow him. And the truth is, it's a cross. If you take up Jesus, you're taking up the method of your execution. It's a struggle. It is painful. It is leaving behind everything to give everything to Him. To follow Him. Listening is following. Are you going to follow Him this morning? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a problem, and only Jesus can fix the problem. Sin is our problem. The truth is, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And the truth is, there is a way. There is a gift, a free way to overcome that sin, to overcome that death. And the truth is, it is only found in Jesus. And the truth is, he's supposed to mess up your life, believer, every day. Because you are not going to want to go the way of the truth every day. But the Holy Spirit, because of your relationship with Jesus that lives in you, will guide you into all truth. So what's your decision today? Accept Jesus be baptized, follow in obedience, to conform your life to Christ, to be more, of a, a, a more devoted to the truth, to give in on those places where Jesus is telling you, I'm here to mess with your life. Where you are is not where you need to be. Join the church, join our church, be a part of this part of the kingdom. What's your decision today? What is your next step? Jesus is calling. Jesus is standing in front of you and saying, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Will you listen to his voice this morning? Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you our lives, our failure to listen to the truth, to obey the truth, 
to say when we come to a scripture we don't like or we come to a crossroads in our lives to say that, well, of course Jesus would want me to do this or of course God would want me to do this or of course I don't want to do scripture do this the way scripture tells me because we want our own perspective, our own perception, our own preference and we want our own truth and yet... You are truth. Your word is truth. Lord, may that be our standard. And it says that we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be crucified, executed because of our faith to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, may we go with boldness to our execution. May we take up with joy our cross. Not a problem in life, but our very existence as a believer. And Lord, may someone here respond by your Holy Spirit, because frankly, that is the only way we come to Jesus knowing that it's our method of execution. Nobody would want to do that unless the Holy Spirit compels and draws. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would work on the heart that does not want the truth of Jesus in their lives, but knows they need it. So they would not leave here saying, but as Pilate did, what is truth? But would instead leave here saying, I now have the truth. Lord, guide me into all truth. We pray for your hand on the last few minutes of this service as we worship you and respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at this time, if you'd like to make some decision, if you'd like to be prayed with, you can come to the front. Chelsea will be to my left. I'll be over here to the right. If you'd like to pray with somebody, you can come and pray here just all by yourself. Lee, Justin, and Kirk will be at the back if you would like to pray with somebody back there. We have people that would love to pray with you. Respond this morning to the truth as we worship him. Let's stand and sing and hear Jesus say, y'all come to the truth.